Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com. Hello, everybody. Hey, here is Yarek Buchholz from Canada Real Estate Investors Club, and uh, my assistant, John Kerpus, so she is joining us also. Hi, John. Hello. Hi. Hello. Good evening. Good evening there. <laughs> and today we have a very, very knowledgeable mentor, investor, Madeline Ficaccio, teaching Canada REIC members how to find the money. I can promise you guys, as an immigrant coming from Poland many, 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 many years ago, uh, many lives ago, I can tell you, money is not growing on trees. So we have to find a way how to find them in order to finance and to finalize our real estate deals. So, hello, Madeleine. How have you been doing today? Good, thanks. Good, Yark. I want to ask you how you're doing because I know you're doing great. Always good, always good. <laughs> always good. <laughs> so, the way how we are conducting our 100% free educational seminars is very, very simple. Our mentors are teaching our Canada REIC members, and you can hear the presentation. Uh, how do you feel about being interrupted during the presentation, or you'd like to have a questions at the end? No, actually, I prefer if they ask me questions during the presentation and okay. at the end as well. But, but yeah, stop me anytime if you guys have any questions at any point. Please just uh, let me know. I'd be happy to answer them as we're going through. Perfect. So, guys, the way how that will go, uh, there is a window, which chat window and question window. You can type your questions there. I do really appreciate if you have, and will really appreciate if you will have a microphone. Many of you guys, if you are using laptops, you, you may not even be aware that you have a laptop, a microphone. So we will, I will try to unmute you. Otherwise, my lovely assistant, what she will be reading today. And uh, we start the presentation. Simple as that, right? So guys, go ahead. And Madeleine, it's all yours. Okay, thanks, guys. I'm glad you made it on tonight. Thanks, I really appreciate it. I know, uh, you know, it's a Thursday night. Everybody's got a lot of stuff going on, so I appreciate you coming on. Um, we're going to talk a bit about finding the money for the real estate deals. Um, I know it can be a bit of a challenge at times. Um, you know, I've had, I've had the same challenges. I started out about 10 years ago, um, you know, with not a lot of cash, and so I had to find the money really quickly for my real estate deals. And, and, you know, in order to move our business forward. Since then, we've built up to about 72 tours here in Canada and uh, several hundred in the States. And, you know, most of it was uh, using basically other people's investment money and, um, you know, uh, building up a reputation. But, of course, we all have to start from somewhere. And when I started out as, you know, in the exact same position as most of you, um, you know, was... Uh, 
the world was full of opportunity and I could see all of the opportunities that were out there in the real estate world but didn't have a lot of cash to move it forward so um, you know so and even even if you do have a lot of cash to move it forward we all move out of, out of cash eventually and need to you know come up with more cash in order to uh, expand our businesses so um, on that note um, I'll I'll the presentation here, and like I said, if you have any questions, please feel free to stop me at any time, and uh, I'd be happy to answer your questions. Okay, so first, uh, you know, always need to start with the legal disclo disclosure. Um, our disclosure analysis in this presentation contain information about our personal experience. Uh, such information includes, but is not limited to, real life experience as well as examples, trees of understanding and clarity, and etc. It's you know the same legal disclosure that pretty much everybody has, so we'll move forward. Okay, so finding the money. Um, one of the, the best ways that I came up with, with to find money was through joint ventures. Um, several of the properties that I own, I have um, eight different companies, and each one of those, well, I have ten companies, but eight of them are holding companies, and those holding companies have um, one investor or maybe a husband and wife or that sort of thing uh, that's a joint venture partner of mine um, in that that um, company that we own together 50-50 and um, all our properties are underneath that held in a joint venture. Now in those joint ventures um, I own 50%, myself and my husband, we own 50% and the joint venture partner owns 50%. Um, so we, we share 50 in 50-50 in cash flow as well as um, equity appreciation. Um, so, you know, where can you find those joint ventures? Um, you know, I've, I've pretty much looked everywhere for joint venture partners. So, of course, when you're starting out, family and friends is a, is a good way to go. Um, I mean, it could be good and bad as long as things <laughs> go the way you're hoping they, they should go and you're very cautious about what you're purchasing. Um, because, of course, you don't want to ruin any family and friend relationships neither. So, um, but, you know, when I started out, my very first property was with my mom and dad. I went into joint venture with them. Um, eventually, they retired, and at that time, I refinanced it, and I, I moved the property under uh, my name for financing, and then I refinanced it and paid them out their original investment. So it did work out well for us, and, of course, you know, we kind of hit the boom there, so it was really good timing because we bought that, uh, I think it was around 2001, 2001 or so. Now, that wasn't actually the first property we had bought. That was the first one that I did in joint venture. Um, so, you know, we had done some renovations and flips and whatnot prior to that. But what I like to do is if you put together an email, because when you first start out, you may only have family and friends on your email list. So do up an email that, that describes what you're doing, so so the new venture that you're taking in real estate and, and what your plan is and be very specific about your plan and kind of do it up in a nice, you know, letter format and let them know what you're doing and then they can pass it along to other people as well. Um, because your family will usually do that for you, right? They'll, you know, well, you know, I'm not interested, but you know what, I, I know Joe at work had mentioned that he'd like to get into real estate, so maybe he would you know, do a joint venture with, you know, with my relative or whatever. So that's how you start. You know, the biggest thing for me has been is building up my email list. So um, so I'm constantly networking, 
in order to gain business cards and whatnot to build up the email list. And, and that's what it's all about to me. It's about my email list that I can send out to when a deal comes up um, that I'm, you know, selling or, or that I'm, uh, you know, needing the money maybe to do a renovation or maybe I just want to buy and hold a property or that sort of thing, but I need to find money for any of those types of deals, right? So to me it was all about the email list. And so every time somebody emails me, they get put onto my list that goes, a newsletter goes out to them. Now, um, you can also go, like, join different networking groups like Canada Reek, there's RAIN, there's a local chamber of commerce. I, I do have to comment on the local chamber of commerce because most people don't know or have never thought to join their local chamber of commerce. When I was in university, I heard that the chamber of commerce, now I was looking to network with uh, business people in the community. Um, I like doing this kind of networking because, for instance, if you go to RAIN, everybody there is a real estate investor, and I have been lucky that I've gotten some joint venture partners out of RAIN that funded on deals, but a lot of the people there are looking for the same thing you are, if you know what I'm saying. They're looking for money, right? So if you can find a channel that you can go to that isn't only real estate investors, that maybe you're the real estate you know, investor, the professional, and the other people around you are from the business community and maybe don't have time to be doing what you're doing. Those are the kind of people you're looking for for joint ventures, right? So a lot of my joint venture partners are um, engineers, accountants, doctors, um, you know, people that are, you know, have very, very busy lives. A lot of them have their own businesses and they're, they're running several, a lot of times several businesses and they don't have time but they want to put their money into real estate. So that's where I come in and I'm the real estate professional that, you know, can invest their money in different opportunities and, and oversee it for them because they can't. So um, so the local chamber of commerce, I'm, I'm out of Calgary, and so when I was in university, I went to the UC, we, um, I heard about the chamber of commerce networking luncheons. So I went to the networking luncheons, they were at the time, you know, $12 or something, they're probably a lot more expensive than that now, but at the time it was $12. And you would go and you would get your lunch and you would sit at a table of eight. There'd be a room full, you know, maybe there'd be 10 tables of eight. And you'd get each person at the table during lunch would get five minutes to tell about their business. So what I did was I went, now there was no university students there, none. I was the only one. Now the university always had these different networking things that I could go to, but I was networking with other students then, or I was competing against all the other students, right? So I'm, I'm talking to, you know, maybe they'd have like a, a job fair or something like that, but there was all the other students there talking to them, so it made it really hard for you to stand out. So if you can find somewhere to network, like the chamber where you do stand out, it makes a big difference. So, um, so what I did is I went to the networking luncheons. I got to say my five-minute spiel. Um, I would say, you know, I'm a student at the University of Calgary. I'm taking my Bachelor of Commerce degree. I'm concentrating in marketing. And what I would do is I would look for volunteer work was what I was doing for different companies that I could build up my resume before I was done university. <clears throat> so it was kind of, um, you know, stepping out of the box, doing something that was out of the ordinary, trying to find a different way than the way that everybody else is going. Um, so then what I was doing, collecting business cards, right? Collecting business cards, collecting business cards, which, you know, are still, still some of the people that I contact today about my real estate business. So 
um, although at the time, you know, there was no email, so <laughs> it was a little bit different. But um, you know, but you basically, I, I I recommend getting a membership of the chamber because they have now depending on your loca location, but in Calgary, anyways, they have breakfast, networking breakfast and luncheons, and they have I think once a month or so they have an evening um, thing as well. So every so often. Um, because they draw a name out of a hat, basically, and one person gets to stand in, t in front of the entire group. So the whole year, or whatever it was that I went to the chamber, I had I had gotten my name drawn out of the hat two times that I got to stand in front of the audience. You know, so there was you know 80 business people or whatever there, and say my thing. So I told about how I was a student and you know looking for different opportunities for marketing and whatnot. So um, I would have a lineup of people, which you're probably saying, well, yeah, that's because she's volunteering. But, but I would have a lineup of people after to talk to me from the business community, and not just people that were talking to me about volunteer. Actually, it was it was mostly people that were saying, you know what, we're really impressed that you're doing this, and you know, we've never seen a university student here before, and I'm going to mention your name to so and so who might be looking for somebody that, uh, you know, for marketing or whatever. So that's. That's what it was all about, right? Is marketing yourself, and that's how you find the money. Is marketing, marketing yourself, and so um, you know, there's other investment clubs and different things as well. And um, uh, you know, I've heard of a, a one where I was talking to a, a fellow investor, a friend of mine, um, and he told me that um, he had joined um, a group, and it was like a it was just a, a group where every month they get together and they just talk about you know what they're going to do the next month and it, it wasn't it was more of a focus type group scenario it wasn't about real estate or anything like that in particular it was just kind of focusing your life and um, it was over a two-year period and that group he had said you know it was great because he said it was doctors it was lawyers it was different people in the business community so he became their real estate professional and he's raised millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars he's raised. So that's what I suggest. Try and think out of the box a little bit. You know, um, try and find you know different groups that you may be able to join up with that might have different professionals in it that aren't real estate investors. That you are or, or not that they're not real estate investors. They're not the real estate professional, and um, but they might be interested in investing money into real estate. Okay. Um, Advertising in newspapers, community newsletters, um, online, of course, Kijiji. There's you know several different uh, online sources that you can advertise. Um, you know, newspapers is more expensive option. Community newsletters, you know, thirty to fifty dollars you can advertise usually in those newsletters, and then you can kind of target different areas. So if you're looking for, you know, investors that have a minimum of a hundred thousand. Um, you're going to be advertising in, you know, uh, particular communities, right? You're not going to advertise in a low-income community if you're looking for accredited investors with a minimum of 100,000 to invest. So, um, so you can kind of target market a little bit like that. Um, Kijiji, you know, as we know, is free for a dollar fifty or two dollars or whatever. You can bump it up to the front page. Um, you know, so just everywhere. What you're trying to do is you're just trying to get email addresses to add to your list. And then what, what I do is I send out a newsletter. So um, 
and I, I personalize it. You know, I get I get a lot of newsletters. You know, you get them all the time from realtors and you know just different people and whatnot. I always try and personalize it a little bit. What I'm trying to do is is um, put myself. Um, you know, so that they can, they have something similar in their life that they can relate to me on. Okay, so you're never going to see one of my um, newsletters being, um, you know, the with the pictures and the you know, kind of the brochure look to it. And it depends what works for you. You know, you got to try different things and see what works for you and what you feel most comfortable with. But for myself, I just personalized it. You know, I talk a little bit about my kids, and as a matter of fact, I was going to mention that right at the beginning, which I didn't because I have four four children between teenagers down to seven, and um, I don't know, they've each got two, a couple of friends over here tonight, so so I've got about ten kids in the house right now, so if anybody interrupts me, then you know why. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, so, so in that exact way, um, you know, now, you know, people that have children, see, because when I first started looking for joint ventures and speaking with investors, I tried to keep it really, really professional and, and you know, so I would I would be hushing the kids all the time and I would be just trying to, um, you know, keep everything quiet and on a professional level and that sort of thing. And, you know, after four kids, I kind of gave up. You know, there was always somebody interrupting. There was always somebody, you know, coming in and saying this or that or, you know, a, a kid in the bathroom yelling for me to come and help them or whatever. So I started to realize that, you know, they're part of my business. I'm not trying to keep them away from my business. That's that's why I'm doing this, so I can be at home, right? So, um, so I would just tell people right up front, I've got X amount of kids here. You know, they may interrupt me, but you know. But then what it did is it made it. It oftentimes would relate them to me, and you know, in in this business, a lot of times I've been dealing with men, and and then all of a sudden they kind of like, well, I have three kids at home, and then you're kind of relating, right? And when you're trying, to, when you're when you're raising money, the more you can build the relationship with people, the more money you're going to raise, always. Um, and I'll go into that in more detail, but um, but anyway, so so we're going into you know you could also buy investor lists, which I've done. You can get them pretty specific. Um, I've done it more with um, you know when I'm target marketing buying houses, where uh, there's there's one list called Westlist. Uh, .ca, which is in the west. Uh, they, you know, maybe they have an eastlist.ca or something for the east. I'm not quite sure, um, but you can search. There's many, many different companies you can buy lists from, and you can get very specific. You can say, I want this area code. I want real estate investors, or like, you know, in some situations, I want homeowners in this area code. And then I will get a list of, you know, 5,000 of homeowners in that area code. Um, and if they don't have them all in that area code, it's the closest area codes to it. So you could choose, you know, a list where you are able to, um, um, you know, say it's a, um, a high end of your city that you're living into. It's a, you know, a real high end estate area, and then the areas surrounding it are also high end estate areas where there could be a lot of investment funds, that sort of thing. You might want to market to them. Um, referrals are the best way of finding money. Um, so, of course, once you do a deal and you have a good joint venture partner, uh, the best referrals are them. Um, 
and they'll back you. You know, if you're if you're doing um, your job and you're doing what you said you're going to do, then they'll back you. So, for instance, um, I have one of my biggest partners. He has, uh, you know, people used to say to him, "Geez, you put the mortgages on and you put the finance, or you put the financing on and you put all the cash in, and she gets fifty percent. Why would you give her fifty percent of the deal?" And you know. He loved it because he was so busy and he knew he could see what we do in the background, right? That it's not just, yeah, we put a deal together and on to the next one, we forget about it because we have to manage those deals as well. So he could see the effort that, you know, that that was having to be put forward. And so he would say to them, he would say to them, oh my goodness, you have no idea. I would have probably bought one fourplex right now and been pulling my hair out by the roots, trying to deal with those tenants. Instead, we've bought, you know, a, a dozen fourplexes. She takes care of everything, her and her husband. And actually, I give myself credit. I should. I don't deserve it. It's, it's my husband that takes care of most of all of it. But anyway, so, you know, that's what they, they, they'll say, right? You know, and if you can get a good referral that way and it's word of mouth, that's your best way of finding the money. So you always want to do what you say you're going to do. Not that you're not going to make mistakes, because you will, and I've made several of them. But but it, um, you know, it, all you can do is the best that you can to keep it on track the way that you said it would go. Um, so get creative. You know, build that email list. You know, every single time you get an email from anywhere, and I always put at the bottom of mine, if you would like to be removed from my email list, please um, put the word "remove" in the subject heading. Please reply with the word "remove" in the subject heading, and then. And, you know, if they want to be removed, then I remove them. They send it to me. And I always get a few. Every time I send out a newsletter, I always get a few. You know, but I may have added 20 that month, and I might get two back that say they, you know, they want to be removed. They're not interested. So there's no point in having them on there if they're not interested in real estate, right? Um, so, yeah, I send out a newsletter. I, you know, on my newsletters, like I said, I get pretty personal. I'll tell a little bit of what's happening in my my life, you know, um, and then I'll get into the deals. Um, when I get into the deals, you know, it's uh, uh, it could be pretty general. It could, it, it's you know, or it could be pretty specific. It just depends what I'm looking for. If I'm looking to raise capital, I may have already found the deal. I might have already closed the deal, and now I'm raising capital, like the stuff I'm doing in the U.S., for instance. Um, or I may, you know, have a deal under contract. Now I got to find the money quick which is most of the way that I did it. Um, I'd say probably 80% of the deals I put under contract, especially the ones in uh, my fourplexes in Red Deer, I didn't have a clue who was going to fund on those deals when I when I signed those contracts up. But I knew I would. So so I, I guess that's a big part of it is is knowing, you know, and just, just knowing it's going to happen, you're going to make it happen. And to me, it was always the challenge. I didn't want to let anybody down. That was my biggest thing. Don't don't ever want to let anybody down. So I looked at it as, okay, you know, this realtor, he worked hard, he put it under contract for me, you know, the, the seller, you know, they're, they're trusting that I'm going to close this deal now, and, you know, it, and I just, so to me, it was, I was just on a mission. I just knew I was going to close and I was going to find the money. So then what I did is I quickly sent out a newsletter. Now I'd already been building up my list, right? So I have this list, send out my newsletter, and get a response on that list. So it does anybody that tells you that this business is a get quick you know get rich quick business isn't telling you the truth from from um, from my experience anyways it's 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 work it's effort and it takes time it doesn't happen overnight uh, it was four years before Dan could retire after we started in this business and you know so it's yeah, a little bit of, it happens a little bit at a time right 
So with joint ventures, um, when you're meeting with them, you want to have a good presentation. Um, I'm sorry I don't have time tonight to go into this in more depth. I, I do in my mentorship program, I do go into it in, in uh, very, very detailed uh, explanation and we get you actually doing your presentation and getting it up and running and also we go through all the joint venture contracts and everything but you know that's over a few weeks so um, so you know just basically you want to lay out a solid plan I guess you know if I were to narrow it down into a few sentences what a good joint venture presentation is you have a very solid very specific plan so you're not all over the place oh you know I might buy townhouses and red deer and a, and then I might buy a main floor and basement suite in Edmonton, and you know, I'm looking at multifamily in Calgary. You don't ever want to have the all spread out like that. I can tell you, even today, very specifically what I do, and I do a lot of different things. But I can tell you, we buy fourplexes in Red Deer. We buy main floors and basement suites in Forest Lawn and Calgary, both in C neighborhoods. And we buy multifamily buildings in Texas. And so I can tell you very specifically what I do. And, and and it's focused, right? I'm not buying multifamily buildings all across the states. That would be crazy, right? I, I don't. I, it's too hard to get to know that market. You have to, you know, pick an area for certain reasons. You know, like if you're going to pick, say, Forest Lawn in Calgary, for instance, which that's where I really like in Calgary. If you're going to pick Forest Lawn in Calgary, why are you going to pick that that area? What what does it mean to you? So is there an LRT coming in? Are there new freeways coming in there? There's, you know, is, it, is there some new some going on in that area? So for instance, uh, Forest Lawn. Um, are buying a Forest Lawn, um, why do I want to buy that? Well, because I met with the redevelopment project team. I know what their plan is. Their plan is to take out this street and that street, and they're going to do tree-lined streets, and they're going to have a trolley going up and down, and they're going to reface all the buildings. And I can tell you all of these kind of things. The lots are large. It's inner city. The more the city expands, the closer to downtown it becomes. It's um, um, you know a mature neighborhood, nice old trees, big lots. I can get R2s with high zoning. I can tell you a million reasons why I buy on Forest Lawn and why I think that that's the area in Calgary that's going to come up the most in appreciation over the next 10 years. So I can tell my partners that. And I remember one partner that I had, my biggest partner that I already referred to, the first meeting I had with him um, and his wife, his wife was so mad that he was even talking to me because I was talking about buying a forest lawn. A forest lawn, for those of you who don't know, is quite enough a rough neighborhood, probably the roughest, one of the roughest neighborhoods in Calgary. And um, she was just floored that I'd even think about investing their money in Forest Lawn. And um, her husband was really having a hard time convincing her of the, you know, that he thought that this might be a good idea. So, so she didn't like me from the second she heard my name after she heard I was going to invest in Forest Lawn. I, I wanted to invest their money in Forest Lawn. But she finally agreed to have uh, go for coffee. So, um, so the two of them and I went for coffee and I sat down and I laid it out to her. She said to me, I can't even believe that you're even suggesting we invest our money in Forest Lawn. And I was like, uh-oh, she's going to be a tough one to crack. <laughs> but I knew my market, right? I knew exactly 
why I was looking to buy there and why I had narrowed it down to there what, and, and what my plan was there. I knew I was buying main floors with basement suites and double garages. When she asked me, why main floors, basement suites, you know, that sounds like kind of a pain, you know, dealing with a tenant downstairs, living in the basement, they're always complaining, they're this or that. Yeah, you do have issues, there's no question. I mean, there's, there's always issues that come up, but that's real estate, right? But what I do know is that if my main floor is vacant, I can cover my costs. If my basement suite's vacant, I can cover my costs. I can gain extra income on the garage. I've got more opportunities as far as the sale of this property in the future because there's a basement suite. I can sell it to a homeowner. They can rent out the basement in order to lower their mortgage payment. I've got several exit strategies. So I, I told her that, and I told her all my reasoning behind why I was investing in Forest Lawn in, uh, in Calgary. And by the end of the meeting, She's my biggest Forest Lawn fan now. Not not so much then. She was like, you know what? I like. It. Okay, let's give it a try. You know, I. She was like, I don't. I don't have to manage it. You're managing it. So, you know, okay, let's do it. So, complete change around. Complete. And all her life, she looked at Forest Lawn in the same way. Okay. So now, she's looking at it for what it is. It's an investment. It's a good investment. And why is it a good investment? Because of all the reasons that I laid out. And now she's my she's my biggest Forest Lawn fan. Whenever I talk about selling a property, she's like, "Well, you're not going to sell the stuff in Forest Lawn, are you?" You know, so it's it's a it's a total changeover. So it's you know, people just want to know that you know what you're talking about. You may not have done a single deal yet, but if you know what you're talking about, I'm sorry. No, you can't use my laptop. No, I'm teaching. Thank you, honey. <laughs> my seven-year-old wants to borrow my laptop. Do you guys mind if he borrows my laptop and we'll just cut this short? <laughs> <coughs> oh, boy. Anyway, sorry about that. So um, so when it comes to, you know, I always meet face-to-face -face whenever I can. Sometimes I can't because, you know, people are across Canada or in the States or whatever. But when you can meet face-to-face, -face, you can really build that relationship. Because when it comes down to it, I always say, you know, for finding money and raising money, it comes down to, to, to number one, your enthusiasm. you got to be excited about what you're doing. you got to love what you're doing. And when you do, that really shines through. And people see it and they're like, wow. And, you know, the question that I get asked the most, especially with the multifamily, is, are you the one that's overseeing this deal? Because you build that relationship with them. They want to know that you're the one that's making the decisions over there. Because sometimes you know, you're raising money for other people's stuff, which I have done in the past and I don't do anymore. But um, but I have. And you know you don't really have any say in it. And then you raise the money. And then if the other person doesn't do what they say they're going to do, it comes back on you. So I won't raise money. I won't raise one penny for somebody else's deal anymore unless I'm really involved in it. You know, so so I am enthusiastic about what I do. I, I absolutely love doing what I do. So that shines through. And they want to be part of that because you are enthusiastic and you're excited and knowledgeable. So so the second thing is knowledge, having that knowledge base. Now that's not that you've got it you, you can never say, Look, you know what, I gotta check with my partner. I mean I do that all the time in my mentorship program. I say to them, I say to my students, you know what? If they have a question you don't know, you say, I gotta check with my partner, you know, that's her end of it, and I will get back to you. Then they call me, right? So and then I then I'll I'll give them the answer to the question that they're looking for. So it's not that you can't do that, you 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 will do that. But what I try and do is learn my market as much as I possibly can. So um, 
so for instance in the states I was out there you know like for the for the Texas market I was, I, I've been out there over a year before I bought a property last May so um, so what I just really tried to do I met with people met with people met with people you know asked every question I could met with lawyers met with accountants met with you know just the brokers out there the mortgage brokers the went and saw property after property after property and I you know sat down with my team and came up with a marketing plan based on all of the questions that we've been asking and so so even though I hadn't done any deal out there when I closed my first building out there um, I was able to raise the money because of the knowledge that I had of the area now these investors knew darn well that this is my first building in Texas and of course it's I have to be highly educated in that market to to convince investors to bring their money out there because for a while it was a really scary thing to invest in the U.S. So it's, it's been a bit of an educational thing. But if um, if you do have, uh, you know, you you can you can learn that knowledge, right? It's like even if you have, um, uh, let me think, if you have a property. Okay, so for 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 myself when I first started out, I didn't have any properties, but I had to raise joint venture money, right? So what I did was I took a lot of training. I took a lot of training. But part of what the training was, at the time I took a course at Robert Allen, and it was um, all it was was deal structure. So all you did was you went on a Saturday morning for two hours, and you listened to people. Like people would send their name in and say, you know, I have a deal. This is Joe. This is Mary. This is John. And they would you put his name in of those. And so then what would happen is they would go on, and you know, um, Robert Allen would say, "Okay, Joe, you're first. What's your deal?" And then Joe would tell his deal, and then Robert Allen would dissect his deal and say, "Okay, this is what I would do, and this is the way you could do it, or you could look at this way, or you could look at that way." And so, so that's all he did, and, and it was excellent training. Like I learned so much about structure and deal structure, and I never had a deal ever when I went on the course. It went over eight weeks. I never had a deal, but I. But I, I was just listening to all the other people's deals. And so I learned how to open my mind and to the different possibilities that were out there for structure. So even though I hadn't done a deal when I sat down with my first joint venture partner, aside from the one I did with my parents, I had this, I, I knew creative strategies and, and how to work them. And so I made a plan. And I thought, okay, I'm going to use this strategy and that strategy. The only problem was is that it, it's very, very U.S.-based. So some of the stuff that they talk about didn't relate to here. Um, and that's when I started doing a lot more training in Canada was because, you know, they talk about a lot of different things in the States that you just, you can't do here. So, but, but the ones I could do here, I kind of learned it and, you know, was able to say, okay, this is what my plan is, this is what I'm going to do. And, and so I was, because I was so specific about my plan, and, it, and people who don't know anything about real estate that aren't in the business, it does not take much to impress them that you have a knowledge base in real estate. You don't have to know the ins and outs of every different angle and what you can do and multifamily and houses and, you know, all commercial. You don't have to know all of that kind of stuff to impress somebody who is not in the business. You need to know a few techniques and tell them those techniques. And they're like, wow, you know, like maybe you t talk about agreement for sale. You know, my plan is I'm going to find properties that are undervalued. We're going to do them under agreement for sale, you know, with a low cash down. Once I find those properties, we don't have to qualify on the mortgage. We're going to do it on agreement for sale. We're going to, you know, get in with, you know, 30000 or less per house. 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've got a plan, right? And then they're like, wow, what's, the, what's this agreement for sale about? You tell them a little bit about agreement for sale. And they're impressed. They think, wow, this person really knows what they're talking about when it comes to real estate. I've never heard of such a thing before because 99% of the population has never heard of agreement for sale before. So it's, um, you know, you, you, you have some knowledge in some area. So enthusiasm, knowledge, and then trustworthiness. Because at the end of the day, they invest in you. If they trust you and they think you're going to do what you say you're going to do, then they'll invest in you. They, don't, they invest in the property to a degree, but at the end of the day, they're investing in you. Anybody have any questions to this point? Okay, we'll keep moving along. Okay, so that's joint ventures. I do, uh, you know, a few weeks on joint ventures, and I'm sorry I don't have time tonight to touch on it more than that, but hopefully that gives you a little bit of, you know, um, insight into joint ventures and what direction you can go as far as raising money through joint ventures. Um, a second way is MICs. So MICs you may have heard of are mortgage investment corporations, and basically, it's investors that put their, their investment money into a pool, okay? So their money goes into this pool. So, you know, Joe puts in 20000 Mary puts in 50000 you know, Reg puts in 25000 They all pool their money together into a mortgage investment corporation. Then that money buys several mortgages. They invest in several mortgages. So the money's pooled together, and then, you know, maybe it's $4 million, and then... Um, Maybe and the banks will match a certain amount too. So once they get to a certain amount that's raised, the bank will put in some money as well. So say they've got five million dollars, and they might buy you know one commercial building where they put a million dollar mortgage on, and then it might um, you know they somebody might buy a house and they lend the money on the house on a mortgage, and you know maybe it's two hundred and twenty thousand, and then they've got another mortgage that's you know, 1.5 million, another one that's 150,000. So it's all several different mortgages. So people like to invest their money into mix because it's uh, it's not just in one property. It's, you know, kind of pooled over several properties. So it's uh, they look at it as being a safer investment, um, you know, because maybe one collapses, but the other do good, so they're still doing good, you know. Um, so now the good thing about a mix, you can, you can find them, like, through mortgage brokers, lawyers, uh, my lawyer was going to set up a MIC. He did all the work to do that, but then uh, he has not finished that yet. Um, but um, because of some new laws and stuff that came in with securities and whatnot, but there are, you know, you just gotta ask around, um, especially with mortgage brokers and whatnot. They'll, you know, they they usually know of MICs and where you can get in touch with them. Nice thing about a MIC is they usually calculate the loan to value that they'll lend you uh, based on the appraised value. So in other words, okay, say that I get a foreclosure and I get it under contract and then I get it for 300000 but it's actually would appraise at 350000 Well, if that MIC will lend me 80%, then 80% of, I can get 80% of the 350000 So this is where you can get money for a deal that you don't have to put any money in. If you see what I mean, because you're only buying it for 300, but it appraised at 350, and I'm talking not appraised to a realtor. I'm talking, a, a, you know, professional appraising company has appraised it and appraised it at 350,000. The mix will lend you 
the, the mortgage money based on the on the uh, on the appraised value. So there's great opportunity, you know, uh, with mix, in the sense that if you're what your your deal is is that you're searching for undervalued properties. When you find undervalued properties, you may be able to do it without having to put any of your own cash in or very little. So what I would be doing, I would do stuff like that, and then I'd find a joint venture partner to put in a little bit of cash that I did need. So I'd kind of mix the two, right? Okay. RSP mortgages. I've used um, many, many, many RSP mortgages. As a matter of fact, there's very few properties that I own that don't have RSP mortgages on them. Um, now, so this is RSPs. This is not your own RSPs. This is whenever you're investing somebody's RSPs, it has to be what's called at arm's length. So what that means is, okay, so Yark, say Yark has a $100,000 RSP. And myself, I have a property, and I want to put that RSP onto that property. Where, where I use them, I use them mostly as second mortgages to pull cash out. Okay, so say that I've got a $300,000 uh, property, I've got a $200,000 mortgage on it, and I want to pull 50000 out. So I go to Yark and I say, Yark, will you lend me 50000 Here's the numbers on the property. You know, 50000 brings it to 250000 loan to value. The property is appraised at 300000 So you've got a buffer, $50,000 buffer there. Will you loan me the money? So Yark loans me the money. Now, what I like about RSPs, because you can borrow cash in a second mortgage position as well, but whenever you're borrowing cash, the payment is usually uh, PIT, right? So, or, or PI, so, so principal and interest. With RSPs, I can get my mortgage to be way, way, or my payment to be way less. Um, so because how I structure the RSPs, I pay, you know, 10, 12%. I pay good interest on them. But as a second mortgage I'm talking about, uh, not as a first. I don't pay that kind of money on a first, but on, as a second I do. And But I I only pay them 5% interest-only payments. Then at the end of the term, which is usually five years, I will owe them the original investment, I'll owe them the original investment plus the additional 7% interest. So it's paid at a, as a balloon payment at the end of the term. Or I might refinance it in three years or whatever. I might sell the property or, you know, whatever happens, happens. When I, when I pay that out, though, is when I owe the additional 7%. So on 30000 for instance, I think my payment is $100 a month. So you can see that's a big difference because normally if you borrow 30000 if you borrow 30000 from a hard money lender, which is somewhere that you can get money from, and I'll show that to you as well, there's usually fees on there. So you borrow 30000 30, they're probably going to charge you a $4,000 fee, where you, depending on where you find it. So $4,000 fee, so you're borrowing thirty, but but you're, the loan docs are going to say you're borrowing 34000 And then you're going to pay um, PI on there, so principal and interest. So on the 34000 you know, if you're paying at 12%, you're going to pay 12% plus some of the principal back. So maybe your payment's going to be $500 or $600 or $500 a month in around there compared to the $100 a month I can do with RSPs. That's why I like RSPs. Plus, I, I, I pay no penalty, no payout penalty on them. So if I, um, uh, no, I mean, I suppose there could be a payout penalty on them, but that's not how I structure them. So you want to make sure that that's written in your loan documents. But um, so if I pay them out in two months from now, then it's penalty free. 
So they're good for a flip. If you if you can find somebody that's got you know a couple hundred thousand or whatever um, in RSPs, you could use them as a as a first mortgage on a property. Say that you wanted to flip it. Say that you were going to renovate and, and sell. So say you needed two hundred grand, or no, say it was two hundred thousand dollar property, and you had twenty thousand yourself, or you had a partner that had twenty thousand, but you you needed a mortgage for one hundred and eighty thousand. You could go to an RSP lender now. You only want to go up to 90%. Most of the of the um, trust companies will only allow you to go to 90%, which is a good thing because for a while there, people are taking advantage and investors bringing people's RSP money in and putting it at you know 120% loan to value, and people are losing their money. And that's why they put in these new rules, not new, they're they're old now, but um, where you can only go to 90%. But if you find an undervalued property, again, it's based on the appraised value of the property. So if you find an undervalued property that's, um, say, you're buying it for 200000 it's worth 230000 it's appraised at 230000 <clears throat> it will be, uh, you can borrow 90% of the appraised value of the property and then close it with that money. So what happens eventually, see what's happened to me? I have probably a quarter of a million or half a million dollars of investor money in RSPs sitting right now, not my money, investors that I work with, because I can't use it in the States. So, um, and, and that's pretty much what I'm doing right now. So, so, but every year, because I've done so many of them with them and I'm always moving their money, so if we refinance, I'm always thinking, you know, win-win for the RSP guy too. I'll figure out another property that I can move it to so that he doesn't have to be, you know, because it is a self-directed RSP, so you don't want them to have to work too hard, but they're always having to move it and this and that. You want to move it for them. You want to take care of your investors like that, which has always been something that I've done, been really careful to always be making sure their money is working for them. So they, every year they call me back, oh, I'm, you know, putting in another 75000 if you want. Do you have anywhere to put it? You know, my husband and I are putting in a hundred grand. Do you want? Do you, do you have anywhere to put our RSP money? Or somebody paid out my RSP uh, on a on a mortgage. You know, a hundred thousand. Do you do you need it anywhere? So, so you, once you build up RSP money, you have like infinite amount of money that you can go to. Once you get a, if you get a really good name and you always make your payments and stuff, and they it's just like a mortgage that come out automatically out of the bank account every month. But the payments are super low, so it can keep your cash flow really high. And that's why I use RSPs so much. And like I said, I've used them most in second position. I've used them in third position. But, it, but you can use them in first position. And you, know, you can use it to close a deal in first position. And you can have it based on the, the appraised value instead of the purchase price. So that, again, that's somewhere that you can use money that you don't have to, uh, you may find a deal that you don't even have to put hardly any money in yourself in order to buy something. And again, that's if you're looking for, you know, um, undervalued property. And I know this is a lot of information in a, in a really short amount of time. I do two classes on RSP mortgages on my mentorship program. So I'm, just, I'm trying to give you some ideas. Um, you know, you, you do have to learn more about them and have a, a good understanding of how to go about them. When I teach it, I actually teach my presentation. So I, I do a presentation for investors. I used to, you know, where I do it in front of 20 people or whatever. 
so it's when I teach it, I teach my presentation so that they know how to present it to an investor, right? So you know what to say. So there's more to it, you know. But um, the one thing I should point out is you can't advertise it. So you know, don't run out and put an ad in the newspaper and say, you know, investor RSPs the second mortgages in our houses, or you know, investor RSPs on you know my house or whatever, you know. Um, you can't advertise it. It has to be through word of mouth, and that's a security law. So, um, um, you know, so for me, it's always been word of mouth. I've never advertised. I've, you know, I might have sent it out to my joint venture list or my my list, that email list I told you I was building. I might have sent it out on there several times. You know, if I was looking for RSP money, I sent it out to all of them. Those are people that I, you know, have built a relationship with, even if it is just an online relationship, and. Um, and then it's been word of mouth, like people that I have invested their RSPs, then, you know, they've told their friend, oh, you know what, you make straight 12% and you're, you know, you don't, uh, you don't have to be, uh, have this fluctuation and stuff all the time with the markets and, you know, so it's a, it's a great investment. So then they called me, so it came, a lot of my business came through word of mouth, just one person telling the next person telling the next person, you know, because people love it when they can invest their RSPs in something that is solid and secure. They can go and look at the house. You know, that's where their RSP is secured onto. And it's secured onto the property just like a mortgage. So it's, um, it is secured. And it doesn't fluctuate. You know, like, I had all of these RSP loans. And, um, you know, when the market crashed and everybody, you know, lost a lot of what they had, my RSP uh, people that are secured onto my properties are just happily going along at their 12%. And very happy because the market crashing, even though the house prices went down, didn't even affect them, right? I still owe them the money. So, um, so yeah, and they're easy qualify, right? Because they're based on the numbers. No, it's the personal, you know, the person that's calling you or that, that's, um, that's, that's giving you the money, they're going to still, it comes down to that relationship thing because, you know, they're, they're not going to invest their money with you if they don't like you or whatever, you know. Uh, you, you have to build up that rapport, but they're not looking at your personal bank account. Do you, do you see what I mean? It's not, you know, you, you, you build up that relationship and they want to invest with you because they trust you and they think that you're going to, you know, that you're buying good properties and they think that you're going to take good care of their stuff, but it's, um, but they're not like a bank where they're going to look at, you know, how much income you made last year, are you self-employed, are you employed, you know, what's your, uh, uh, what does your credit look like, none of that. So it's, you, you don't have to qualify on RST mortgages. It's solely based on the property and the same with NICs, same thing. So they're a good direction to go, you know, if you're looking for, for money and, you know, especially people self-employed, you know, it's really hard to qualify on a property right now. So there's, you know, there's different partners that you use when you're finding money. So some are debt partners and others are equity partners. And the difference between that is, is a debt partner is somebody who brings money in. So if I do a joint venture and um, Mary brings me $50,000 and she owns 50% of the property, they're an equity partner. Okay, they take ownership and equity out of that property. I mean, I mean, sorry, they're a debt partner, but they own equity in the part in the property. Okay. Um, an equity partner is they place the debt on the property, but they aren't considered equity owners. So in other words, if the value of the property goes up by 50000 you don't share that with them. 
you just owe them their monthly payment and their interest. So that's like a MIC or RSG mortgage or a mortgage, you know. So those are all equity partners where they're placing the debt on the property and then you pay them, you know, the monthly payment or quarterly or whatever it is. And but they don't own any of the, the equity in the property. Debt partners, more like joint venture partners, that actually take an ownership of that property. Although it's usually silent, it's usually silent ownership. Okay, um, another way to get money, private lenders, uh, hard money. I do a lot of this right now with my stuff in the States. Um, when I close a building out there, I have, to, um, I have to go in all cash, and I only have about two weeks due diligence and two weeks closing. So I have to go in all, all cash, which means I need all the money up front, and they're large multifamily deals. So what I do is I go to a private lender. And, um, and I get what's called hard money. So it's, it's higher interest rate, um, but my payment's interest only. And they'll charge me an additional financing fee. So, you know, it's usually 12, 15% what I'm paying, and then I'll pay three, five points. Um, meaning three, three to eight points means that's the fee. That's the financing fee that they get. And then they get the, uh, you know, the, the payment, the interest only payment. So um, so I often use that money, that kind of money now. Now, I, I have to warn you to be careful with that kind of money, though, and who you're getting it from. I get it from, you know, if you want to go to brokers and you want to go, you know, you might call your lawyer. Oftentimes lawyers know of private lenders, um, brokers, you know. But if you go to, I'm trying to think the name of the company. Capital Direct is one of them in Calgary. There's several of them all across the country. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just going to take a drink here. Okay, so if you if you go to um, Capital Direct and these hard money lenders that charge <clears throat> really high interest and really high points, and they, you see the advertisements all the time, you know, we'll give you, you know, up to 90% of the value of your home. Um, no qualifying, that sort of thing. But I'm trying to think how I can make an example where it's different from the hard money that I'm using. The hard money that I'm using are people that, that I know and that know me. Um, you know, or it may be like a, a private investor that doesn't really care. Like their, their business is to loan money. So, in other words, you go through your lawyer and he brings you private funds that, you know, somebody loans you a couple hundred thousand or something like that. Now, if you're paying them 15% interest or 12% interest, whatever, and you have a one-year term, and then something happens in that one-year term, you can't sell it in that time, you can't refinance or whatever. So you need it extended to two years. Money, private lenders, they're in the business of lending money. So, so they'll usually give you an extension. So like my guy that lends me in the States, for instance, he's from here, but he lends me on the, on the properties in the States. He will, um, like I know, I know him well enough to know as long as he's getting his payment every month, he's happy. So he's not going to tie me to something and try to make me lose the property, right? But some of these hard money lenders like Capital Direct and whatnot, my experience with them is they'll charge you 17% interest. They'll give you the money, but they're going to charge you like so. On a, if you say you took fifty thousand dollars, they're probably going to charge you six, seven thousand dollar fee. So 
So they're going to bump it up to seven thousand or sixty-seven or fifty-seven thousand will be your your actual you know loan amount, which all private lenders do. Mine does as well. So you know that kind of goes with the territory. But they're more of a bigger organized company. And what I find with them is their real deal is to take over your property. So so they they lend money, but they they lend money with the expectation that, okay, you need the money because you already can't afford the payments that you're in, which is why you need the money because you got yourself into trouble. And now we're going to loan you money on top of that because you're going to get yourself into more trouble. And six months from now, we're going to be putting your house into foreclosure and taking over that property. And in my opinion, that's what they're in the business for. They're in the business of taking over properties and making money off of profiting off of for, off the of foreclosure because you see what happens is when they do that, when it goes into foreclosure, they have to take over the first mortgage, so they'll do that. They'll start making payments on the first mortgage. But they might be charging you. There might be something in the fine print that's 32% interest on any payments they make for you. So 32% interest there. And then plus, um, you know, if you are late on your payment, maybe that 17%, they can now charge you 26% in small print. And um, and then any legal fees and stuff that they cover for you, they're also going to charge you 26% on top of that. And on and on and on. And that's where they really make their money. Do you see what I mean? So if they foreclose on you, it's a huge advantage to them. Because you remember, they've only gone 80 90%. So there's a buffer there. So they can be able to sell that property for a higher dollar amount, pay the realtor fees, and then pay, take an absorbent amount of money for themselves on top of it for a short-term deal. Plus, they got an additional seven grand out of you, you know, for um, for starting the deal up in the first place, and on and on. So, you have to be careful with hard money. You know, it's better if they come recommended, and it's a private lender through, like a, like I say, like your lawyer or a broker or something like that. It's private money. It's not from a big, you know, corporation that's looking to take over houses. And, you know, I did foreclosures for a lot of years, and those were the ones that they had the most aggressive lawyers, the absolute most aggressive lawyer. What, what firm was that that was uh, supposed to speak last month there, Yark? Hendricks. Yes, Hendricks. They are the absolute most aggressive lawyers. I really wanted to see that. I was out of town. I was in Vegas that week, but I really wanted to see that presentation, Yark, just to hear the other side of things, because I always worked the other side, right? And, working the foreclosures and trying to foreclosing lawyers out there, but the the hard money lenders like the, with the from the big corporations that I'm talking about, they use these the extremely aggressive foreclosing lawyers and you know they just they won't even talk to you they just they just go and they've got one thing in mind and that's to take over the property so you want to be careful with that private money to me means private money from somebody that's recommended it to me um, then bridge financing um, you know as institutional lenders it's usually used for larger pro projects it's in a situation where um, you know the, the interest rate is less than the private hard money, and it's short term. So I'll use this. This is you know where where I use hard money to close my deal, right? That I'm at say 15% interest, 
then, and the reason I have to use that hard money is because I need it in two weeks. I, I need it now. I, I don't have any time to qualify or do anything. I just, I need the money. I need it based on the property and I need it now. Okay. Then, after I close the deal, I might go for bridge financing, which is, um, I can get it at a lesser rate. It's still going to be shorter term. It's not like I'm going for a, a standard mortgage at Scotia Bank or something that I'm going to have, you know, a five-year term on it. These are going to be shorter term. They might be, you know, a year, might be two years, something like that. Um, but I can lower the interest rate. But now it takes me four to six weeks to get that. So the reason that I might use that is because once I close the deal, maybe the deal is worth more. Like maybe I start to stabilize that property, maybe I get tenants in and that sort of thing, do a bit of rentals in it. Now that the the value of the property has raised, so I can do a bridge finance and get an increase my um, loan amount at a lower interest rate. So my payments are maybe the same, but maybe I got more money. You see what I mean? I pay out that hard money at the higher interest rate. So maybe I got 8 or 9% or something on the bridge financing. And so I can lower the payments a bit or take out a little bit more cash, that sort of thing. And then um, what I'm waiting for is maybe I want to eventually get regular financing. But for multifamily buildings, the ones I'm working on, you have to stabilize those buildings for three months or more. Stabilized means 89% or higher occupancy. Now the buildings that I'm taking over out there are you know, they're foreclosures from the bank. They're extremely poorly managed, and they're, you know, they're 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 in need of a lot of attention, right? So, um, so I got to bring them up to that point, which could take a year, could take two years, before I get them to that point that they're stabilized enough for me to get regular financing on them. So that's where I'll use hard money to close, bridge financing after, in order to, you know, take out take more cash out, and and take, and lower my payment with lesser interest rates until such a time that I can refinance on the regular financing system. Rules of borrowing. Okay, always borrow more than you calculate you need. Always borrow more. Because if you're going to be doing renovations and stuff, you can pretty much count on the fact that you're probably going to be out at least 25% on your numbers once you get in there and start your renovation. So if you think, you know, you know what, I, I really I need 130000 Well, then go with 150000 if you can get it. Always go a little bit higher than what you need. Make sure you've got a buffer, you know, that there's, there's a buffer there in the account that, you know, you can count for that. And, you know, when things go wrong, because they will, then you can, you know, you've, you've got a buffer there. You're not scrambling. You put yourself into trouble. Um, double the length of the time that you need to return the capital than what you expect it's going to be. So if you're going to bring in a joint venture partner and you're saying, you know what, then we'll refinance it and you're going to pay you some of your money back or I'm going to put I'm going to put a second mortgage on there and take some of your cash out. I often do that, right? I'll say, we're going to close this deal. You're going to put 100000 in and then I'm going to put a second mortgage on for uh, 50000 after and pull half your money back out. I did that lots. That's a great way to to gain joint venture partners if you can get their, you know, a good percent of their money back and they still own 50% of the property. That's a technique I used many times, many, many times in order to expand and leverage with RSP money. And that's what I offer the joint venture partners. And of course, they don't know how to do that. And most investors don't know how to do that. So when you learn how to do that, it opens up your market to more money. So, but what I would say is, if I thought it was going to take three months for me to get it, I'd say six months. 
right now, if I think it's going to take, um, you know, six to 12 months for me to stabilize my properties and estates, I'm saying 18 to 24 months. If um, yeah, I always go long, always, always go long. It's way better to go long than to go short. And then, because if you say a year, investors want their money back in a year. I've made that mistake. I won't make it again. You know, where I've said, oh, yeah, three to six months, we should have this all done, and then a year later, you're finishing it off, you know. So it's just the way it goes. And also, if you're borrowing money from, you know, any source, like hard money or anything like that, if you think you need six months, tell them you need 12 months. You know, just always give yourself enough time for things to go wrong or not to work out quite the way that you expect them, that they will. Okay, so... Don't count on your own estimates to calculate the costs, unless you're an expert. If you're, you know, a contractor and that's what you do, then that's one thing. But, you know, get the bids. Get bids to be sure. Like, when we're doing the multifamily buildings, we go through every suite. So when we go through, we write down, okay, you know, it needs a new counter this much. It needs new this. It needs new that. You know, air conditioner, you know, $1,600. So we write it down. And then at the end of each unit, we'll calculate out how much we think we're going to need to put into those units. But any of the, no, you know, some of them, it's just minimal. You know, they're under 2,000 to work, and you can pretty much count. It's going to be between 1,000 to 2,000, and you've got your make-ready guys on site that are going to take care of it, so you know they're at an hourly rate. But whenever I have um, something where it's a, it's a, it's a bigger deal, um, so for instance, uh, one building we just bought in July had one down building, so the building, you know, it has several buildings, 188 units, but it's um, one of the buildings, building nine, needs lots of renovations. There's nobody living in that building, and we put a fence around it, and it needs lots of renovations. So we did our own estimate. You know, we went through and we did our own estimate, but then we got in three contractors. You know, because what if we're wrong? What if I raise the money, and then I'm $100,000 wrong? You can't change that after you've raised the money, right? You want to go to the investors and say, oh, guys, can you just pitch in a little bit extra? I'm just I'm about $100,000 short on my renovation cost. You know how easy it is to do that on a 188-unit building? It's easy to be out that much on, on a fourplex. You know, so, um, so just, you know, don't just take your own estimates. Just get a couple contractors in there, get a couple of different bids. You may not use contractors. You might hired out yourself and that sort of thing, but it's it's better, I find, to go a little bit high anyways. Um, you know, if I think that, like on one of my buildings, I thought that it came in around 88000 I counted 150 And I think that it's probably going to come in around 120 so it's a good thing that I did count for extra, right? So um, also consider the timing of the money. So you can... Um, so if you, you can, what it means by borrowing at a higher loan-to-value, if you take some of the capital once the work has been completed in stages, it means that if you, um, if you base the money that you're borrowing on the after-value um, after value of, of the property, like after uh, renovation is complete value, so in other words, you're buying it for 200000 you're putting in a $30,000 renovation, but after that $30,000 renovation, it should be worth $250,000, okay? Then if you take it in stages, 
you can usually borrow at a higher loan to value. So in other words, as you do work, you do work, you pay it, you take your receipt, they give you the money. You go do some more work, they give you money. And even the banks do this. I, I did it on one of my properties, actually. We put $150,000 renovation into a fourplex in Red Deer, and the bank gave us draw payments on it, just like we were building a, a building, a new building. So sometimes you can do that, and you can order. Then you can borrow at a higher loan to value. So maybe the purchase price is $200,000, so normally they don't give you 80% of the 200000 but they're going to give you extra amounts as you do your renovation. So private money, you can do that mix. You know, you can do that with as well. And then if nobody will give you a loan for any reason and you can't get money from a joint venture, you can't get money from anybody, just nobody wants to give you any money from any direction, then it could be a sign that something's wrong with your deal. And it just doesn't make sense. And it's a blessing in disguise that you can't find the money. So just, you know what, move on. Go on to the next one. Don't give up. Don't give up hope that you, you know, that you, it could be just the deal. It could be just that deal. There's always another deal around the corner. Trust me when I tell you that. There's a million deals out there, and there's always another one around the corner. And every single time I haven't closed a deal because of whatever, a better one came, a better one, always. And I was like, oh, thank goodness I didn't do that deal because this one was way better. So, you know, don't get discouraged if, if the deal falls apart because you couldn't find the money. On the next one, you probably will find the money. Okay, so rules not to be broken when financing with private money. Never, ever pay someone in advance to decide if they'll perform a loan. This is really popular out there right now, you guys. You probably haven't seen it yet if you're mostly dealing in houses. But I deal in multifamily, and whenever you're dealing in larger with larger mortgages, and, and I'm sure even with private money on the smaller mortgages as well, they'll tell you this. Okay, um, you know, it's going to be a $2,000 fee for us to, um, you know, go through all the paperwork in order for us to, um, you know, it's application fees and that sort of thing, and, and, you know, our costs involved, and we want to know that you're a sure thing. Okay, every single person that I know that has given upfront fee money to a, a brokerage has lost their money, or, or the loan never came through. It may have been refundable, sometimes it is, but even the refundable ones I won't do. If, if you can't, that's cost of doing business, right? That's their job. They need to qualify my, my mortgage. And if they can't qualify it based on what I give them, and they need upfront fees, then I'm walking away and on to the next one. So don't ever, ever do it. Um, as you get larger and you start doing commercial deals, you get into the larger projects, you're going to see this everywhere. And I've seen people get conned out of and lose like $20,000 and up front. I had one guy that, that wanted um, everything found on the up and up. They promised me the world they're going to be able to do 80% and they're going to be able to do this, not everything. And at the end of the day, I, I dealt with lots of these guys over the last couple of years and now I just won't deal with them, period. But um, the guy called, oh yeah, he needed me to fly him to Texas for a week so that he could go and view the property and this and that and, and you know, pay for his hotel and pay for all the, you know, his meals and everything else. Well, he went out there to see my property for a week. And I'm thinking, yeah, this guy probably gets a lot of free holidays. <laughs> That's right. So I'm like, no, you are more than welcome to come see the property if you want. But you fly out there and you go see the property. 
I'm not paying for it. That's the cost of doing business. And you're going to make a lot of money off me in the long run with your mortgage. So, you know, it, it's, a lot of times it's the brokers that are doing that. It's not even the money lenders that they're charging a fee. So be careful with that. That's a con. In my books, that's a con. And I, I don't care. I, I don't care what, you know, they say behind it. To me, if, if they need to charge a fee, to, to you know to consider my mortgage then they're not the right lender for me so now we can the other thing we can do is structure your deal creatively uh, so that you don't have to find a lot of money so this is kind of a way of finding money without having to go out and look for money because what you're doing is you're not needing much money in order to close these deals so agreement for sale for instance um, you know, if you find properties that are underwater, you can take over the mortgage without qualifying on an under agreement for sale basis, and then sometimes not have to put any money in to take the property over, or very low down, maybe $10,000 or something. So if you, um, agreement for sale is a huge way of finding properties that you don't have to put money in. You need closing costs if you, I mean, close, not closing costs, but you need to get the agreement for sale docs set up and stuff, so there's a bit of lawyer fees and whatnot. But I, I do teach a, a lot more about that and how to find those. Um, you know, it gets pretty in-depth, but one one way is, you know, going on for sale by owner sites, looking uh, on the for sale by owner sites and finding a way to, um, um, to go basically you put it out there, you look in different areas that you're interested in or all over the city you're in and just put it out there and say, what is the balance of your mortgage? Now if they're asking 300, most people won't reply. They don't want to give you that information, but then they're not motivated sellers in the first place, so you don't need them, right? That's not who you're looking for. But people who are desperate, that are like, oh man, I'm selling this house for sale by owner because I can't afford a realtor. So. So I'm selling this house at three, you know, it's, it, I'm selling it for 300000 and there's a $305,000 mortgage on it. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Those are the kind of people you're looking for. So then they, those ones will give you the information. You might send 100 of them out and usually only get two or three back. Maybe five back and two only makes, two or only two makes sense. But if you find two deals that month that you get for no money down, that's the way you found your money, right? You don't even need a partner. Then you do an agreement for sale on it, you take over their mortgage, and you get in for nothing down. And there's, trust me, there's lots of people in that situation right now that are underwater that can't afford to hire a realtor, and that's why they're selling on the for sale by owner sites. I've got several students that have done those time and time and time again. So that's a really good way of, of finding the deals. Find a deal and you don't need, that you don't need a money, that you don't need money for. Um, or you can get the owner to carry a VTB, so vendor take-back mortgage. Um, so then your the owner basically is becoming your partner. Vendor take-back mortgage is similar to a second mortgage. So, you know, they're in trouble. Maybe they can't really sell. They haven't. I mean, houses are just sitting right now, so you, you can find these deals right now. And they're like, well, you know what, I've got to sell. At least they'll take over the payments and, you know, and they'll take over and I can get some of my money back and, and you know, they'll carry a VTB. I'll carry a VTB. I don't get it all back now, but I'll get it back eventually. At least I get the property out of my hands. So again, then you get really low down, right? Um, if a property is free and clear, you can have the owner put the financing on the property so the owner can refinance the property. Then they get that money, right? So say it's a $200,000 property. 
it's free and clear. The owner refinances that property and puts a $150,000 mortgage on it. You take over the mortgage on an agreement for sale. The owner gets the $150,000. Then you ask them to carry a BTB on the balance so that you can get in no money down or little money down. Usually what I'm doing is trying to get the best structure, the best creative deal I can, and then I go to a joint venture partner and get the money. But, you know, maybe the joint venture partner only has to put in 20 grand now to buy a property, whereas they can never do that, right? If it's a $300,000 property, they're going to need 70 or 80 grand to buy the property. So if I can structure a deal where they only need 20000 to buy the property, then that's an easy sale to bring in the joint venture partner. You know how many people out there have $20,000 sitting that they would like to use in real estate, but they can't because they don't know how to structure a deal? And 20000 isn't going to get you anywhere in real estate unless you can get creative. It can get you a long ways if you can get creative, but you know most people don't know how to do it. So that's another way to find the money. Get creative so that you don't need much money. And the more creative you get, the easier it is to find joint venture money. And that's about it, guys. So I don't know if you have any questions about all that. Holy Moses, what kind of picture is that? That's you? That's my... That, that's me. I, I, that's my, my cowboy hat from Vegas. It's my Harley-Davidson cowboy hat. And the reason I bought it is to go to Texas on Sunday, and I'm out there for the week. And there's a big Texas State Fair out in Texas next week. And, well, it's, it's all this month. And so I'm going with my team to the fair for a day. And, um, yeah, we, uh, and they told me to buy a cowboy hat. So I, mean, I guess it's like Calgary. It's like the big cowboy thing. So, uh, so that's my Harley-Davidson hat from... Vegas from when I was in Vegas last week. <laughs> I thought I'd put a new picture up because the old one's getting kind of boring, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> no comments, no comments. <laughs> so with, with all the respect, I can tell you one thing. There, is a, there are questions on the chat. However, okay. I didn't disturb you because you were so into that. <laughs> okay. And even when you ask, you, you you like to ask the you know if there's any question, uh, I just let go. So okay, okay. So there's a question question time now. Yeah, absolutely. No, hey, listen, um, let me see. I'm on my cell phone, so I'm gonna have to plug it in because I've talked so long today that I'm, my phone's just about dying. So give me one second here, so I can plug her in. Sure. My seven-year-old decided to turn my light off in my office. So that I can't even see in there aside from my TV or from my computer screen. <laughs> so, okay, just one sec. Okay, someone disappeared. <coughs> Madeleine. Guys, let's just hold it for a second.
Okay, Madeline, she just sent a message that she will be just right back, so. Okay, uh, John Murray, 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 I do really apologize. So I'm trying to unmute you and see it if you have a microphone. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay, John. Yes, we can hear you, John. John? Yeah. Yes, we can hear you. Yes, we can hear you. Uh -huh. I got my son here, so not sure. Uh, I got my mic to work. That's So the the question that I did have uh, previously, okay, um, that okay. I, I I would like to ask, if that's okay, is sure. have you done anything sure. for with social media to raise capital? You Sorry, I couldn't really, really. Sorry. I couldn't really hear you, John. So are you, sir, you addressed earlier um, the fact that you utilize email lists, uh, et cetera, et cetera, to, to generate capital or look for capital for JD. Yeah. Um, have yep. you ever have you ever utilized social media? Um, yeah, Yarek, you're gonna you're, you're gonna get after me about this, but um, yes, I I do um, in some instances. I, you know, I don't near as much as I should though. Um, but absolutely, that you know, um, any way that you can go with social media is a, is a huge. I, I think is going to be a huge uh, direction in order to gain, um, you know, investment capital in the future and to get your name and stuff out there. Um, you know, and I'm I'm on everything, but I I don't utilize it as much as I should. I you know I do a lot of advertising on Canada Reek and and Rain and that sort of thing. As far as um, you're, you're referring to, like Facebook and LinkedIn and all that, right? Can you hear me, John? I'm muting John because his feedback. Oh, I'm muting John because his oh. feedback. Sorry, I get, oh, okay. I get muted out, and uh, the uh, the questions actually disappeared out. So the other question I had was was when you went into your first JD, uh, was there was there at any specific time? Uh, uh, what I, I, I guess what size of project was your entrance? Was it was it simply a JV if you didn't have capital for a single family home, or did you did you utilize your JV opportunity to jump into larger properties, multi um, multi multi unit properties, et cetera, et cetera? I I I grew progressively. So in other words, I um I started out with um uh, well the first one was a duplex, but it was because I got such a good deal. I structured such a good deal on that property that I got it for really low down, but it was duplex. I bought both sides. But um, normally what I was doing is I was uh, I was marketing for undervalued properties and foreclosures, and the ones that fit what I was looking for as an investment property are the ones that I bought. So with my joint venture partners, the rest of them I flipped to other investors. So I, um, so in answer to your question, I started out with houses. Um, mostly main floors and basement suites and garages is mostly what I did. <clears throat> um, I did a few condos and whatnot, but you know, and houses. But once I realized more specifically what I was looking for, and I, I'm not a big high risk taker, and so I don't like uh, just buying single family houses without basement suites in them. I also don't care for condos. People I know have done awesome with them, but for me, I like to keep the control in my hands a little bit more than that. With condos, you know, I never know if there's going to be a cash call or, 
you know, if, if the condo board won't let me put a dog in or whatever. So I kind of learned to stay away from different things that I didn't like and, um, and got more specific. So I started with houses. Then I moved into fourplexes. Four, fourplexes are a great investment. In my opinion, they're one of the best real estate investments out there. Um, so I bought a lot of fourplexes. But you know what? It took me two years to put that fourplex together, the first one. Um, it depends how skilled you are at management and landlording. Because what you want to be careful about is you don't want to take on something that's too big and not be able to handle it professionally and you know make sure that things go the way you expect them to go. So for me, it was a progressive thing, right? You know, I started with houses, basement suites, you know, where I'm dealing with a couple tenants and got used to that and dealt with that a bit. And then I moved into the fourplexes where I'm dealing with fourplexes at a time, or four tenants at a time, sixplexes. I did a bit of, so I went four and six, because at, at the time, sixplexes I could do under, um, I could do uh, 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 residential financing. You can't anymore, but at the time you could. And um, so, you know, got really close to that. Then we're kind of expanding, right, where we're buying fourplexes next door to each other. So you've got eight or 12 units all in a row. Um, so, so, you know, kind of learned all of that. Then I got into commercial, and I was just flipping commercial. I wasn't buying it myself, flipping to other investors, getting under contract. But, you know, then I had to learn to analyze those deals. So I had to really learn how to analyze commercial buildings which led me into my expansion to the States and eventually buying them myself. So, um, you know, it's, it really is a progressive thing. You know, I, I wouldn't be too fearful, though, to, you know, if, if you have, say, a joint venture partner that's got half a million dollar line of credit or something like that, um, I wouldn't be too fearful to jump into a fourplex. If you can get into a fourplex, um, you know, right away, sometimes they're, they're a lot less work than, um, main floor and basement suite because if you can get a four-corner fourplex, um, you know, the, the tenants aren't sharing anything. They're, they each have their own little suite and they have their own furnace and hot water tank and, and uh, you know, sometimes they have their own washer and dryer or whatever. And so they're not sharing and, you know, so sometimes it makes for easier management than, say, a main floor and basement suite where they are sharing and you can have issues between tenants. So if you can, afford with your partner to get into a fourplex, that's probably where I would start, one fourplex. Then make sure, don't move too fast. Make sure that you've got it under control and you know what you're doing and you're operating it well before you move into the next one. Otherwise, I'd start with main floors and basement suites myself. And then I'd put an RSP second mortgage on them to pull cash out to buy more properties. See, the one, the one uh, when I refer to my larger um, uh, my larger investment partner, he had half a million dollar line of credit when we started. So he normally could have bought three fourplexes, about 150 grand each he needed. So he could have bought three fourplexes. Um, but with me leveraging and all the stuff that we did uh, throughout the years, we ended up buying um, eight fourplexes, 32, yeah, 32 doors. So eight fourplexes with the same half a million dollar line of credit. And that was because of RST mortgages and leveraging and moving money around and that sort of thing. Okay, I guess uh, John, he will be, just let me just unmute him. Okay. Okay, can I add an extra couple of things about concerning the generating and social media part of it? Please do, 
since I did not do well in that. Kind of thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> guys, from my personal experience, and I can tell you, I had a very, very Prior to Canada REICA, I had very successful internet businesses, and I found one very important statement, which is you pulled in your recognition. doesn't matter in what kind of social media aspect of it, right? So Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and any other. You're not building a business relationship. You're building recognition. People start knowing mm -hmm. of you. They do it's not... Right. They do not know you. They know mm -hmm. of you. They start mm -hmm. interacting. So that's a lot of work related to that, right? So if you are asking if it's the proper way to build your recognition by utilizing the social media, yes, that's one of the first stages which you have to do it. Okay? Mm -hmm. Why? That's why Canada REIC is seen and noticed all over, right? That's why we have developed, just broadcasted and posted today a broadcast uh, solution for you guys to broadcast all over, right? I'm very lazy, but we have to work very hard in order to have that recognition. Yes, I would use the tools to have uh, links redirected to your portal, to your information, whatever you like to achieve about by utilizing social media. Facebook is more likely for family and interacting with the people which they would like to get out of the business. There is so many, and there is too many salespeople. They, they hire virtual assistants. They hire someone else under their name, and they do spam and over-saturated the, the Facebook or all those other stuff. So, unfortunately, because of that, you have to interact per, per person, by person, and talk with them. So more likely messaging systems on the Facebook, LinkedIn is much more powerful and you sort them out. If they reply to you, if they reply by name, if they reply you know, correctly, then you interact with them, right? That's why also I do, I did realize such kind of thing and I have organized that Canada REIC because I, we are focusing more likely on providing educational resources. You give, you receive it. So I do consider Canada REIC as a kind of social media for real estate investors with limitations for sales. Okay? I don't know if you notice there is some people from the United States broadcasting on, and posting ads on a regular basis, but many, many, many are deleted, guys. It's not about quality. Quantity is about quality. Okay? Yes, utilize your social media to have a, to people know of you, but after all, you have to do a lot of work in order to get in touch with them. And mailing lists are very, very important too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I guess that's what it's about. You know, I uh, you know uh, actually I'm I'm kind of lucky that way because whenever I teach, Yark puts puts me all over the place on social media, so. <laughs> So it works really well, but I um, but he's exactly right. You want your name out there all the time. You know, I think when somebody searches my name, I think there's 16 or 17 pages or something. My sister's telling me. So, um, you know, like you want your name out there all the time, where they see you all the time, everywhere they look, they see you. But but you need to personalize it in order to actually get the cash in to for, for people to really trust working with you. I really feel that you need to personalize it. 
Okay. So, John, I, I, you have a you have a very huge feedback. So, uh, I guess uh, we will ask Vanessa now. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa. Vanessa. Uh, we we cannot hear you. I know you have a mic. Okay, Vanessa, she asked. Uh, hold a second, there's so many questions. Uh, can you advertise something like wanna ha wanna make money on your RSPs? Uh, it's related to RSP marketing. No, I wouldn't. I, I would never advertise RSPs. I just uh, there's too many issues with securities and. You know, there's been so many companies that have collapsed and done things against, you know, uh, investors and stuff. I just, I do it word of mouth and through my emails and stuff like that. But I don't ever advertise anything to do with investing people's RSPs. You, you're supposed to be licensed, so like Olympia Trust Bank can advertise that. You know, banks can advertise and say, you know, we're going to invest your RSPs but they're licensed and that's different. So, um, no, I would say no. I wouldn't take the risk. Okay. And just give me a second. Thank you for your time. Have a great evening, John. Let's follow up. Oh, good. Thanks, John. Okay. And then by Marcelito, please just give me a second. Okay. Hi, Marcelito. Hi. Hi, Marcelito. Hi, uh, thank you, Madeline, for a very nice and uh, very informative uh, presentation. You're so welcome. My, uh, my question is, how do you structure your uh, joint venture to uh, prospective uh, investor or money partners? How do I structure my joint ventures? Yes. Yeah. Um, they put the mortgages on. And, and they put the funding in. So they put the money in and they put the mortgage on. And when I say put the money in, I also include my appraisal, my closing costs, a buffer in the account, that sort of thing. Um, and then they own it 50%. I own it 50%. Now, 50% cash flow and 50% equity, we split. But um, when we sell the property, they get their money back first. So, so say we sell the property. Um, you know, we make fifty thousand. I give them their original investment back first. If there's fifty thousand profit over and above that, we split it fifty-fifty. Okay, so meaning uh, if you if you have a deal, uh, the money partners will provide the uh, the down payment and other uh, uh, costs, and then you're the one who will uh, guarantee the mortgage. So no, they the they do the mortgage. They do the mortgage, and they do and they put the money down. Oh, I, find the, I, I find the deal, I structure uh -huh. the deal, I, I close it with my team, and I oversee the management. And if there's renovations to be done or anything, I oversee the renovations and stuff. So I do all of the work. They put the money in, and they put the financing on. Now, in saying that, if you structure, say, an agreement for sale deal, mm -hmm. where you do an agreement for sale with somebody, um, then you can, you can uh, take that deal and 
it doesn't need financing, it doesn't need new financing, right? So that's a benefit that you can give to your investment partner, that you structured it so that they don't need to qualify on the financing, they don't have to personally guarantee it. But um, most of the ones that I've done, not all of them, some of them, you know, were done more creatively like that, but most of the ones that I've done with joint venture partners, they've uh, put the mortgage on and they put the money in. Okay, thank you very much. Mother You're welcome. Sure. And you know what? If anybody tells you, because, you know, especially when I first started out, they'd say, well, you know, 50%, that's a lot. You know, how come you get 50%? It's a lot of work, you guys. It is a lot of work. And what I can tell you is I made a mistake in that I didn't take a management fee. So what you should do is not only should you do all the work and everything, but you should take a management fee. So charge the company like, you know, an 8 or 10% management fee. And the reason I say that is because when things slow down, if you're doing this full-time, like I am, myself and my husband, we do it full-time. Now I do other things in real estate. But, um, but you know, you're, you could be depending solely on cash flow. If that cash flow goes low, what, are you going to go back to work? How do you go back to work? Now you've got, you know, 50 properties that you're managing. So that's one mistake I made is I didn't take a management fee. I thought, you know, if I'm going to get the equity and cash flow, I should, you know, I shouldn't take a management fee, but I should have. So that's, you know, one lesson I've learned throughout the years. It's easier to set it up right up front like that than it is to go back five years later and say, you know what, I need to start taking a management fee. You know what I mean? So it's, you know, it's really important you set it up properly the first time and you take 50% and don't let anybody tell you that you're worth less than that because you absolutely are not and especially when you're dealing in areas that are tougher management you know it's it's work and it's effort and you know there's a lot to it so it's not an easy job and it does take time so you deserve 50% yeah yeah that's true so how long normally is the term for uh, for the joint venture uh, the terms for the joint venture yeah um, well, usually, like, I mean, I set mine up, um, you know, our plan is uh, five years, so we have a plan, I mean, we, but we have it set up that if the property goes up more than 25% in value, either partner can request a sale of the property. Um, if, uh, if there's no cash flow, if it's negative cash flow for six months or more, either, either partner can request a sale of the property. And I always add one thing in, I always say, like, because people say, okay, well, what happens if the buffer gets spent? Because I'll always put, like, you know, a five or $10,000 buffer in. I get my partner to put that in up front. So say it gets spent and there's no money left and the property's negative. Who puts the money in? So what I always write in my deal is, all right, something like they put in the next $10,000 and after that we split it 50-50. But I always put in a certain amount of buffer that they may have to bump up mm -hmm. of like 10, 10 grand or 5 grand or whatever. You have to be really careful with joint venture because when you're, when you're first structuring the deal, everything seems great and all you're wanting to do is close this deal and that's all you're focused on is closing the deal, right? But then what, what ends up happening eventually is you, um, you're, you're <coughs> You know, I mean, maybe things don't work out as good or, you know, or like what's happened in the last few years where the economy fell, we had higher vacancies, we couldn't get as high rents, that sort of thing. You don't want to leave yourself stuck, but now you have to put money into a property, right? 
So that's yeah. why I put those extra little clauses in there. Um, of course, they're paid out first when we sell their original investment, they get paid first, and then we split the profit after that. So my joint venture agreement is um, it's it's somewhere in the middle. I always say like when I when I teach on my mentorship program, I I I teach um, only what I do. So for instance, I took a three-day, 10-hour-a-day course on joint venture training years ago with 30 hours of training. But really, at the end of the day, what are you using? You're only using two hours worth of it, right? So my contract is, you know, that we went through every contract you can imagine, and we went through contracts that were, um, you know, totally simplified, that hardly had anything in them, and no legal jargon at all. And then we went the other extreme where there was, you know, 50-page contract that you couldn't understand a word it said. So where we've kind of narrowed our contract down is, is kind of somewhere in the middle. It's easy enough that if I give it to a joint venture partner, they don't need a lawyer to go through it. Oftentimes they'll get a lawyer to look through it, but they don't need a lawyer. They can understand each item as they go through it, but at the same time, it's, you know, it covers everything. So I think, you know, as far as joint venture contracts go, you know, it's good to find one that's kind of right in the middle. Oh yeah, that's fair enough. Mm -hmm. okay. okay, I guess that's Marcelito uh, okay. is muted. Uh, out, out of curiosity, I, I Google your name, Madeline. Oh, okay. And uh -oh. Did you say bad things about me? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Out of curiosity, I counted on the first two pages. Yeah. Fourteen records are directly or indirectly pointing to Canada REIC network. Oh, there you go. You see, I told you that Yark was doing a good job promoting promoting me on the online. <laughs> uh, I see. There are websites like Canadian Foreclosure List, International REIC, Canadian Foreclosure uh, Real Estate Investors Club. Everything goes to to your profile here on Canada REIC. So, have oh, a look. Yeah, out of I will. Out of I curiosity, looked, I, haven't, I haven't looked. Yeah, I haven't looked for about a year, so I'll have to do that sometime, I guess. Okay, and I think there will be last question from Vanessa because okay. she's. Please just allow me to find her. Oh yeah, here we go. Hi, Vanessa. We cannot hear you. We cannot hear you. Um, and we were planning to have a one-hour webinar, right? <laughs> yes, we were. But you know what? It's uh, worked out to two hours, and that's just fine. <laughs> you, you know, always happy to answer the questions. And you know what, Yark, whenever I write these seminars, I'm never sure how long they're going to take me to get through them. <laughs> it depends how many stories I come up with in the time being while I'm teaching. So, <laughs> so guys, guys, contact uh, Madeline directly, and looking forward to hear you for on the seminar in Edmonton, which will be held on the 26th of October and mm -hmm. on the 27th in, in Calgary Polish Community Center. And 
this presentation will be tomorrow more likely posted on Canada IC website. So looking forward. If you want to watch again, don't hesitate. Okay. And thank you very much, Marlene, and looking forward to see you in person in a couple of days. Yeah, thank you, Yark. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for coming on. I appreciate your time. Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing. No BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com.